Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse number 19. God's been dealing with me all afternoon. There are some messages I pray about, and some messages I pray extra hard about. This would be in that latter category. I felt what I would describe as a burden from the Lord in this particular sermon and as well in this passage. Luke chapter 16, verse number 19. One more thing. You all have truly blessed me as a minister. I want to thank you for being who you are. I hope you don't ever change in the Holy Ghost. I feel like God has appointed this church as a revival center for this region. Thank you for being who you are in God. Hallelujah. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Serious subject. I want to preach to you on the last prayer. The last prayer. Lord, I ask you to accomplish your perfect path and plan for these people. Lord, may your will flow and be done in our future days to come. May your perfect path be made manifest in front of our eyes and our feet. May we see the direction you wish for us to walk and understand and comprehend what it is your will for us and for your plan. And Lord God, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you. Speak to us and let us have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We all say in Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. This is not a parable. This is not a parable. There was a certain rich man, Jesus said. And when the master said there was a certain rich man, there was a certain rich man who truly lived and truly died. This man had everything according to secular viewpoints that our hearts could desire or even request. He had wealth. He had status. He was clothed in purple. That was the color of royalty. That meant he had an official royal position in that city. He was somebody. He was well known. He was famous. He had power and secular authority. He fared sumptuously every day. He had no want of food or meat or drink. Everything his flesh could ask for, he had. 
But there was one thing his soul needed that he did not have. He did not have Bible salvation. And dear friends in Medora, count this. It doesn't matter how much I attain in this world if my name is not written in heaven. What matters the most of all in the end is that I have found Acts 2.38. That I have my name written in that Lamb's book of life. Whatever else I may desire or accomplish, I want to find salvation. I want to find my abode someday eternally with God. I want to go where he desires for me. I want to make heaven my home. Hallelujah. Lazarus also was a certain man who truly lived and truly died. And Lazarus was a beggar. Unlike this rich man, he did not have what his heart and his flesh so desperately wanted. He was laid at this rich man's gate full of sores. Translation, he did not even have a physical address. No mailing address, no home, no bed or pillow to sleep on, no table to eat at. He was desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from that rich man's table. He had no health care. He had sores. He had nothing in this world. And yet there was one thing he did have. He had found salvation. He had found God's heart's desire for him and for his family. And whatever else you may lack and have not found, when you make heaven your eternal abode, when you have your name written above, my friends, you have something of greater worth than all the wealth of this world. Whatever your bank account may say, heaven's royal account says more than I can ever attain in this life. I thank God for his promise of eternity. I thank God for his promise of heaven. Hallelujah. Both men met their maker. Both men encountered eternity. The beggar died. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. There is most definitely a place of peace and rest. Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Call it paradise. Call it heaven. Call it Abraham's bosom. Whatever your favorite term is of this day and hour, there is a place that Jesus has made for you, for the righteous souls who have followed his course for their lives, who have done according to his will and followed that Bible salvation plan who have made themselves a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Lazarus was such a man. Lazarus found that place called paradise, that place of peace and rest. Lazarus found the place called Abraham's bosom here in this passage. But the rich man also met eternity. And the rich man also died. And here is where I pick up my narrative. The rich man had a very different fate eternally. In hell, we read in verse 23, he lift up his eyes. Just as certain as there is a place called heaven, there is also a destination called hell. There is also a spiritual location I hope none of us ever reach. I don't want anybody, not even my worst enemy, to go to hell. Whatever you have to do, I want you to avoid the fire and the torment and the pit and the flame. Whatever has to be given up and released here in this service. Nothing is worth losing out on God's paradise for you and for your family. I want to release it all. I want to lay a every weight and every sin in my heart. I want to be pure and white and clean. Yeah. 
I want to have a white robe on on that day. Hallelujah. In hell, this rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The first thing we learn about hell is that hell is not a lockbox. You can see outside of it. This man can see Abraham. He can see later on the condition of his five brothers. They can see what is happening outside of this place, which in my opinion is also a torment of hell. He can see those who are not there. And he cries out. It's amazing that he can cry out and pray in hell. And it is true. He cries and said, Father Abraham, verse 24, full stop. Father Abraham, meaning he was a descendant of Abraham. He's a Jew. This man is not an atheist. This man knew the one God message. There are people who will make hell who have heard the one God message. Who heard Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I also believe in 2021. Sadly, there are individuals who probably are in hell who have heard Acts 2.38. Who have been in an apostolic service. My father told me years ago, Joel, do you know who will scream the loudest in hell? He said the people who have been in the Pentecostal church and know what they missed. The people who came to a church service and heard the altar call and said, no, I won't come. The people who felt that wind of the Holy Ghost and refused it and quenched it in their spirit. I can't afford that. While I have the opportunity, while I have the time, I want to yield myself. I want to say yes to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. The first prayer in hell is for mercy. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame in a way that I cannot scientifically and medically describe. You would feel pain in hell. A person can feel pain. He was tormented somehow physically in hell. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus. He's still trying to boss around Lazarus, but he's no longer called a beggar from this point. If you will read in the scriptures, no, you're not a beggar anymore. You are not defined by your life status and financial accounts in this life. No, you are defined by the view of heaven eternally. You are not your bank account. You are not the views of other people. You are how God sees you. Hallelujah. He is no longer a beggar. He doesn't get it yet. He doesn't get that Lazarus is no longer his pawn to order around. And so he explains it to him in verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime, footnote, he can remember his life here on earth. Thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. See, mercy is no longer possible in hell. But also reading all this about how what he had in life is now reversed. This is almost a direct application of the words of Jesus. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. He had everything his flesh wanted in this life, but in eternity all of that is flipped. What are you building for in your life? The wood and the hay and the stubble of man? Or are you having gold tried in the fire that will stand the test of time? The things of God that will still remain even when this earth passes away 
away. Even when the world passes away and the lust and the flesh thereof, you will still have your salvation in God. When the stars wink out their last light, you will still be alive somewhere. You must decide where you will be. Will I be in torments with the rich man or will I be in heaven with God? Hallelujah. Verse 26. Beside all this, between us and you, do you notice that Lazarus doesn't say a word here? Lazarus never actually says a word. He talks to Abraham, but Lazarus now, I think part of Lazarus' reward was he didn't have to deal with the rich man anymore. Do you receive that if you make heaven your home, there are some issues that will just be gone in Jesus' name? Some tormentors or people who thought they were better than you. Perhaps if you just stay in God's will, he can remove that issue for all of time. He explains to him, between us and you there is a great goal fixed, and you can't pass from here to there. Neither can they pass that would come from thence. So we learn that hell is a one-way trip. Not temporary as some false teachers teach nowadays. It really is final. But me personally, I also believe that that great gulf doesn't just start in eternity. I think it begins right here in this life with every decision you make. You are either drawing closer to God or closer to the pit. Further on higher up to heaven or closer on down to hell. I believe that great gulf is being formed every day by my prayer life. Every day by my good words and intercessions. Every day by what I choose to be and who I decide for my life. Am I forming that gulf even right now? I am getting further away from hell and sin and wrong and death and pain. And I am drawing closer to J-E-S-U-S. Closer to heaven closer to his hand hallelujah verse 27 now the rich man finally gets it now he finally understands this decision is final and now we read the last prayer the last prayer in the torments of hell then he said I pray thee therefore father that thou wouldest send him Lazarus he's talking about to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The final prayer of this man condemned for all time is that no one in his family would ever have to go there. I asked you this question a few days ago in revival, but I want to ask you a second time in this message. What would you give to have your lost family saved? What would you give to see them pray through in the altar and yield themselves completely to God? And now I'll ask the question differently. But what if the lost person is you? What if you are the lost family? What if something in your heart has put a wedge between you and your creator? And you're the one your father is desiring to come to the altar. And you're the one that Jesus is requesting to yield yourself to him. And you're the one he loves with an everlasting love. And he pleads with you and implores towards you to say yes to his path and his plans. Don't fight him anymore. Don't let that great gulf begin to form between you and him right here. You can make the break tonight. This can be it. Tonight, I release it all. Tonight, I give up the hell. 
and the wrong and the pornography and the alcohol, whatever the issue is tonight, I want to be clean again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hell is eternal. And hell wasn't made for you and I. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. How long is that fire? Everlasting, it says. It is eternal. It is not just a vacation stay. It is a permanent destination. And it wasn't made for you and I. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, a place that God never built for man. Well, God condemns us to hell. Actually, God didn't make hell for man. God made hell for fallen angels. If I arrive in hell, I arrive at a place that God never intended for you and I to go to. That is not God's will for any soul to be lost. I would that all would come to the knowledge of repentance. God wants all to be saved. God wants all to know him and all to yield to his kingdom well preacher I believe that but how does this work I mean I mean who goes to hell Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11 read you something here there was a great white throne I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them they couldn't escape the face of God and I saw the dead verse 12 small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works Meaning there's going to come a time in eternity before the great white throne where everything you've ever done shall be read aloud in the hearing of all eternity. Would you like to have every deed recorded in those books read aloud right here in Medora Church? Would you like to have every deed read aloud on social media for all of your friends and college schoolmates to see and to know who you truly are? Let me give you something encouraging though. There's a way to get all the bad stuff blotted out. It's called repentance and remission of sins. Repentance is real and it's possible. It's available to you. You can have your sins washed white as snow, gone in the blood of the Lamb. But I can't leave them this way. I can't remain the same. No, I must accept transformation. I must be changed. I got to give up that old life. I got to give up that crud and that weight and that impurity. Now I must be a man of God. Now I must be heaven's will. Yeah. Hallelujah. And just to make this very clear, verse 15. And whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't find a middle ground here in this passage. I don't find a happy limbo or purgatory or in-between. No, that is not in this book. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that is where you end up eternally. And that is the word of God. But who does go there? Chapter 21 and verse 8 now. This message is not easy for me to preach. 
I would have loved to preach about rainbows and lollipops tonight here on the closing service, but that is not what God gave me because somebody's soul was on the precipice. I don't know who it is, but I feel like there are people on that place of decision-making. You could choose hell or heaven, wrong or right. You're like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Who will you be? Will you be Esau or will you be Jacob? Will you be a sinner or will you be a son of God? The choice is yours. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. You can feel paradise. You can have the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. But if you make the wrong choice, know this will be your company. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all, say all, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. It's the second death. All right. This verse, if you leave it up, this is tough for me because when I see this verse, Bishop, I know that I, Joel, have broken some of this. All liars are in the lake of fire. I think about every fib, even tiny white lies. The first group cast into the lake of fire, the very first ones named are the fearful. And if I'm honest with myself, it's fear that keeps me out of the altar. It's fear that keeps me from praying. Fear of what other people will think. Fear of me being too extreme for God. Hallelujah. Fear of man's criticisms. Fear of other things. I'm afraid of what will happen to me. I'm afraid of who I'll be. I don't want to be one of those apostolic extremists, bless God. And yet if you'll serve God with your whole heart, that is pretty extreme, isn't it? i got to give God my all, 100% of what's inside of me. This inner man, this body of flesh, it all has to belong to the Lord. I can't let fear stop me. The unbelieving. The honest truth is that many don't serve God because they really, they never admit this publicly, they don't believe they have to do it. And the unbelieving have their part in the lake of fire. The abominable. There are some sins that are so bad, we won't even mention them in polite company. We call them abominations. And the abominable, all who commit abominations, are cast in this group. Murderers. I quoted this verse a few nights ago. 1 John 3.15 Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Never killed anybody with my hands, but oh, with my tongue and even with my keyboard and comment sections online. I've killed people. I'm guilty of that. I know that I can't do that and claim that I'm right with God. I can't be a murderer of my brother and say I'm making heaven my home because all murderers have their part in the lake of fire. Verse 8 in Revelations, the whoremongers, the idolaters, the sorcerers, Whoremongers, anybody guilty of sexual sins has their part in that same place. Sorcerers, got to explain this one. Because the concept of sorcery, we think about fantasy books and children's magic books today. Sorcery is basically this. They bend the supernatural to the will of man. 
A sorcerer bends the supernatural to the will of man. And so if I try to make God do what I want, if I try to bend God's path and say, no, I want it my way, then I have become, in effect, a sorcerer. I have become, in effect, a man on my way to hell. <laughs> Idolaters, anything that comes between me and God, as the song says, is an idol. Anything that comes between me and God is an idol. And finally, all liars. Anything untrue in my life. Take a self-examination right now. Think about your life. Think about your mind while I'm preaching here. Is there anything you want to give up? Is there anything you feel that's weighed you down and made you into someone that you don't really want to be? This is your opportunity on the closing night. I am not preaching death to you. I am preaching salvation and I am preaching life. There is a way of escape. Acts 2.38 lines of the way. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can repent. You can turn away. You can lay down the cigarettes or the drugs. You can lay down whatever that trap is that's got you in its hellish claws. You can lay that issue aside and become a brand new man from this day forward. You don't have to be abominable. You don't have to be an idolater or a liar. You can be a holy man. You can be a preacher, a musician. You can be anointed. You can be used in the kingdom. Hallelujah. And in closing, if you'll stand, I'm going to read you one final passage. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. These verses confused me for a long time. Matthew 7 and 22. This is how Jesus was closing out his Sermon on the Mount. He spake these words. These are red letters, words of Jesus. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What is that name? Jesus. We are not talking about Trinitarians. Prophesied. They operated in spiritual gifts. That ain't the Presbyterian church. Hallelujah. In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. They had supernatural operation. They had the name of Jesus. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That bothered me for years. I didn't get it. How could somebody know the name, work in the supernatural, and then miss it? It took time and prayer. A while back, God impressed me with something. It's a question from God. I'll pose that question to you right now here to close out this revival. How can you know me if you don't spend time in my presence? And how can God say he knows you if you don't spend time in his? How can God say he knows me if I've never taken any time in his presence? presence. I can work all the works I want to work, but if I haven't spent time in the presence of God, does He know me? This evening, don't let that be the epitaph on your life. I'm asking for an old-fashioned repentance service. Could the whole church come?
Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.